it's a blessing to see kids come in your home and the caseworker, they're either coming directly and being removed from that situation or coming from another foster home into ours and getting facts like this child hasn't smiled or said anything in weeks or months. And then you come in our home and the caseworker comes the next month and they're smiling, running, speaking clearly. And it's just like night and day. And it's awesome being able to facilitate that and, and create a loving and safe space for the kids to, to thrive and heal, regardless if they're in our home for a weekend or a year. Welcome to another episode of the Live Lead Last podcast. We are Lisa and James Duvall, and we love hosting this show each week, and we're thankful that you're listening. We hope that you're finding value each week from the guests and conversations that are taking place. Our goal is to introduce you to men and women who are intentionally living their lives in a way to create a positive influence in the world. We really want each episode to encourage and inspire you to live your best life. Okay, so James, this last week has been pretty interesting in the Duvall home. Both of us have tested positive for COVID, so we have been quarantined for the last seven days, which gets really old really fast. Yes, it does. We also celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary, which when you're sick and quarantined, there's not much you can do to really celebrate. But we did get to spend the entire day together. (laughs) Yes, we did. Thankfully, our symptoms have not been as severe as others have faced, but definitely a hard week and ready to be on the other side of this. Today, we have Roman Prokopchuk as our guest. Roman is a first-generation immigrant from the former Soviet Ukraine. He is the host of the Digital Savage Experience podcast and co-host of Real Talk Podcasting. Roman is a leader in the digital marketing space through his company, Nova Zora Digital. He and his wife are foster care advocates. They have had 25 kids in their home and continue to love on new kids while walking through their personal infertility journey. We will discuss all these topics and more. So let's jump into the conversation. Roman, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for giving the gift of your time. We've just recently become acquainted I heard you share a bit of your story on that new social app clubhouse and I DM'd you and said, Hey, I would love to have you on the podcast. And here we are. So thanks a lot, man, for being on. Uh, I appreciate you having me and I appreciate the app for being such a great connector. Yeah, it's really cool. I I like to start the conversation just hearing a little bit of your story. Going back to your early life, you've had to overcome a lot of obstacles. So could you share a bit of your story with us? Yep. So I am a first generation immigrant from Ukraine. I came over in 1990 with six other family members to a two bedroom apartment. Ukraine was still under the Soviet Union. It gained its independence from the Soviet Union in 1992. I went to school here. I went to Rutgers University. I thought I was going to go the criminal justice route. Last semester of senior year, I interned with the Secret Service on the counterfeit currency squad, held a top secret federal clearance, thought I was going to go that direction. But then the recession hit. So state, local, federal agencies froze hiring. I was probably looking for jobs outside of that at this point as well. And nobody was really hiring or taking like a second look at my resume, which got me depressed for, I would say, 10, 11, going on 12 months looking for something. And then an opportunity presented itself at the uh, gym, which is one thing I only did like every day to kind of keep sane, to get some of that stress that I was feeling under control. And somebody said, basically, one day, I want to give you something and come out to my car after your workout, which the conversation could have went, you know, different ways. But they opened their trunk and they handed me a packet about search engine optimization. It was like a 50 page packet and it said, read up on this, go online, maybe another few weeks 
weeks, a month or two. And then when you feel comfortable, you can start doing this for my business. And that's how I kind of got started in digital marketing. And then fast forward, I've had three director roles on the agency side, managed different teams, uh, seven and eight figure portfolios. At this point, have worked with over 600 clients, industries like uh, pharma and life sciences, financial services, uh, consumer goods, legal. And it's all really self-taught in me really wanting to, to learn and make an impact. And in 2012, founded my own agency because I saw I can add value more so than a lot of bigger agencies that vary kind of cookie cutter. So giving the same kind of strategy to multiple clients, even though they needed something more dedicated for their for their situation and, and adding value to their target audience. In 2017, I started thinking about starting a podcast. And then in December, I started the podcast as a solo show. It morphed into an interview-based format and and at this point, 200 plus episodes live and 100 episodes in queue, which is a good problem to have wow. and kind of rolling in terms of growing the show. And in my personal life, my wife and I have been foster parents since June of 2018, which we've had 25 children in our home, currently five under the age of four, which is interesting. And that journey basically started with us experiencing and going through five miscarriages and going through an infertility journey, which at this point we spent about $100,000 at a pocket. And as this is being recorded in the next week or two, we're actually doing another embryo transfer. So hopefully, you know, thank God everything works out. Um, and that's kind of where I am currently. Wow. There's a lot there to unpack. So your childhood in the Soviet Union, the communist country, what was that like maybe growing up there and then the transition of coming from there to the United States? So I lived there until I was four and a half years old. And then I we went through Vienna, Austria, Rome, Italy to get here. It was kind of the path. But I mean, things like we we went to church. So I, I grew up in a, you know, a faith-based family. They, you know, saw Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We went to church. I would consider the church in terms of denomination Pentecostal, like the closest thing. And in communism, there is no religion. You have to kind of worship or serve the state. So people had privileges taken away. If there was people talking closely in terms of kind of like defying the government. They would get taken and put into labor camps in like Siberia. There were situations where like the KGB would sit outside a church and document who's, you know, who's there and tap phones and things of that nature. I remember like standing in bread lines with my mom for like a few hours. There would be like shortages at times because of, you know, international, like simple things like food. So I remember like an orange or a tangerine a lot of time were a treat because that wasn't very seasonal because you know, borders were a little bit more restricted and the whole Cold War situation and whatnot. Power sometimes would be shut off at night. Hot water would be shut off at night. But that was just kind of like the state of the environment. I think coming from that environment and knowing that's, you know, what I came from, it, it adds a certain amount of grit and kind of toughness in business and in personal. So when situations arise, I'm more equipped to deal with them because I know where I came from and, and some of the situations where I believe immigrants have kind of um, a step above people that are maybe born in the U.S. themselves. So coming from 
that situation, if you see a lot of companies, there's a lot of companies in the tech space, they're founded by uh, immigrants or the children of first generation immigrants, and a lot of which are coming from Eastern Europe. So I think there's something to say about that grit and that kind of extra kind of thick skin to take advantage of situations and things that are presented in, in the U.S. in terms of opportunities. Reading your story, it's kind of a dichotomy. You came from Soviet Union and then ended up for a short term working for the Secret Service. Yeah, it was interesting. It was an internship that I, I could have pursued into something more full-time, but that was one of those things. Not only did the recession move me away from it, it was also seeing in that way of life for agents. So in that federal agency, you have to move or switch posts every few years. And that oftentimes is dictated by by the field director. So if the field director has it out for you or hates you for some reason, they will send you to like Anchorage, Alaska or Fargo, where there's like one other agency agent and you have to kind of basically rot there in terms of your career for the amount of time till you get your next post. And then you also have to do kind of the DC detail at least once in your career. So that protective duty, but people don't think about the secret services having another responsibility. So I intern on the counterfeit currency squad. So they have a protective duty and in terms of investigative powers under the federal reserve for counterfeit currency. So I basically processed counterfeit bills that were coming in from businesses with within that field office's territory, which is interesting. The funny other thing is the intern screen, the mail for bombs, which is like <laughs> them being kind of the pawns using the interns to do that, which I found kind of, kind of comical. But yeah, it was interesting. They didn't have an issue about like my background. I actually needed a six month background check. So it was a pretty intensive background check because I knew the happenings and the movements of the president, foreign dignitary. So obviously if I had malicious intent, I can utilize that information to do harm. One of the things that really drew me to your story was the fact that you and your wife have fostered 25 kids and you said currently you have five kids in your home. One of the focuses of this podcast is really hearing from people who are living their lives and leveraging their influence to make an impact in the world. And obviously you and your wife are doing that in the lives of these kids who have been displaced from their families. So I'd love for you to unpack just a little bit more of like, how did that start? How did you get into foster care? And maybe if you can just share some things that some lessons you've learned, some things that's changed in you as a person, how you've seen your influence in the lives of those kids. The road started with going through those miscarriages, spending over a hundred thousand dollars out of pocket and and going because we're actually, like I said, doing another yeah. embryo transfer. So we had that. We've experienced those miscarriages, two of which happened on back-to-back Christmases, was now there's a negative connotation tie-in because of, you know, no matter how joyous a Christmas will be in the back of your mind, you'll, you'll go back to that, you know, those two Christmases. We looked into adoption and at that point, like our finances are drained because we spent all this money out of pocket. And oftentimes to straight adopt from an agency or overseas, it's at least like $40,000, like on the spot. So my wife brought the idea to me and, you know, oftentimes as my wife does convinces me because I'm the one that's usually more rational and she's the one that just jumps into the fire and figures it out. And uh, we went to an information session and then we are orientation and then we started the process and then we had the in-class and everything else, like the case study and then the the home licensing. And that that process took about um, nine months to do. If you have worked in other states or have a lot of kind of businesses or, or things you've done, they have to like track all this stuff down and, and 
and confirm what you make and all this stuff. So if there's an agency out of state that like drops the ball, you have to wait for a while. And that's actually what happened in our case. And we're actually fostered to adopt. So if we have a child in our home and parental rights are terminated of that child, the Division of Child Services would come to us first and see if, you know, it makes sense for us to adopt a child if it's a good fit. We started, we were kind of like sunshine and rainbows (laughs) because of how you're positioned, you know, foster care being a foster parent in the class setting. But I think one thing that would have benefited me more is more of a scared straight approach, like straight up, this is what you will experience in cases dealing with bio parents, you know, situations where there's miscommunications with the state and different state agencies, because it would have like fast tracked us to know how to deal with things, how to get things that we need for the children advocating on their behalf, because the new foster parent is scared to like bring things up because they don't want to like rock the boat or possibly have that child move to another home or you're, you're like blacklisted, quote unquote, by the division to get any more children in, in your home. So I think that kind of stuff I would have rather went through or experienced. I try to advocate in any interview I do. Sometimes it touches on, you know, me being a, a foster parent and really advocate for foster care reform because I feel like the system is broken, not only in New Jersey, but other states where things slip through the cracks. A lot of the times cases and caseworkers are operating in the this gray area. In New Jersey, the goal is reunification, but their mantra is like reunification over anything. So like pushing them back to bio families or kinship scenarios from that foster home, where that foster home may at the time be the best thing that the child can have for growth and healing. So I don't necessarily, like I am for reunification and I help bridge the gap. It's called being a resource for the biological parent or family as they're being reunified. And after they're with the parents, if they ever need anything, food, you know, financial support, you know, just somebody to listen to something or a ride or clothes or anything. My wife and I are there. But I feel like pushing in terms of like, just forcing that situation where it may not be the best fit. I don't agree with in terms of the process and, and things that we've experienced, let's say from like a painful perspective from a case, our first placement, May 31st of 2018, we got licensed June 1st, the next day, we we had two boys dropped off on our doorstep and it was like, figure it out. They were basically positioned by the state. They reached out and they said, listen, the mom is probably going to lose their, her parental rights. We know you want to adopt and they may be moving to adoption. Like there's a good chance. So we were already positioned like to begin with, with the mindset, like you're probably going to be able to adopt these kids. So with that case, we had them for a year. You know, they called us mom and dad at that point. We took them to Disney World all over the country, you know, flew out west to visit my wife's family, drove down to Florida, like did everything with them. And then after a year, we're proud of their mom. She did everything needed to get them back. She's actually doing a great job taking, taking care of them. But they got reunified and we were heartbroken. There was issues with the caseworker in terms of, you know, spreading some misinformation to the mom that we developed a good relationship that, you know, strained that relationship. And we had to build back that trust of something that shouldn't have happened in the first place. But I think each case is different. Each case you see different facts that you can't even believe that are true. Some of the children that are, you know, two, three, four years old have gone through and seen more things than adult will in their whole life. And it puts things in a perspective also, like knowing like if you're going through something in your day or maybe in terms of work, you get an email that may be passive aggressive and you want to react a certain way. Thinking about that and how these kids are dealing with their situations and what they've been through, it kind of keeps you grounded and puts things into perspective. And I think the ability 
for children in the right environment to really heal and then become kids again and being able to laugh, smile, and kind of come to terms and cope with the situations that they've been in is awesome to see too. And it's, it's, it's a blessing to see kids come in your home and the caseworker, they're either coming directly and being removed from that situation or coming from another foster home into ours and getting facts like this child hasn't smiled or said anything in you know, weeks or months. And then they come in our home and the caseworker comes the next month and they're smiling, running, you know, speaking clearly. And it's just like night and day. And it's awesome being able to facilitate that and, and create a loving and safe space for the kids to, to thrive and heal, regardless if they're in our home for a weekend or a year. And those kids, obviously, either a week or a year, their lives are being impacted and changed. Many years ago, the church that Lisa and I work at started an in-home facility that basically kept sibling units together because a lot of times in the foster care system, sibling units are broken up all over the place. So we've been able to see kids grow up in our home, graduate out. One of the issues right now with the foster care system, as soon as a kid ages out, they have no place to go. Yeah, that's a big problem. There's, I think at this point, like 400,000 kids in the foster care system. And like you mentioned, when they do age out, and they're not provided any resources or educated because foster children that, you know, are in the system but haven't been adopted and age out do have a lot of services and a lot of grants and things of that nature for school, from uh, for tech trades, for housing all over the country, but they're not necessarily told or educated about it. So the chance of children that age out and kind of just get thrown in the world to end up being human trafficked, you know, addicted to drugs in gangs or end up dead is like crazy high compared to, you know, your average person that age. And if you look at the prison population, which is even crazier, I believe 60% of inmates identified that they were in the foster care system at one point in their lives. So there has to be some kind of change at some point and some kind of reform and really help these kids, both boys and girls heal because it's actually like staying with them in terms of affecting their life and turning their life to the wrong path. And I think changing the system will help, you know, a lot of the kids possibly find the right direction and, and some kind of motivation and a path in their lives as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Lisa and I have three kids, two grown young adults and a 15-year-old, and I can't imagine having five kids at the same time, especially young kids and come from different backgrounds. So man, hats off to you guys for just investing your life that way. And our prayers are with you that as you guys go through this process of having your own kids, that God's going to bless you in that. I want to turn the corner because in 2017, you started your podcast. And as a podcaster, I'm always interested in how people get into podcasting. And it's it's definitely a journey and learning that people do it for different reasons. And I, I think the average podcast makes seven episodes and then they flame out. So you said you have over 200 episodes, I think 217 or something like that, that are live right now, and 100 in the can. That consistency is amazing. Could you talk a little bit about your podcast and tell us maybe the purpose behind it, why you started it and what you're trying to accomplish with it? Yeah, I started it just like I didn't know the direction. I didn't know the preface. If I had Clubhouse or other things back then, I could have fast tracked and actually had a plan or had some kind of idea uh, or a framework to begin with. But it really started as a solo show 
really showing and helping people within marketing also, because I feel like a lot of people aren't necessarily truthful. Or there's a lot of uh, snake oil salesmen or just people giving top level information that doesn't add as much value to companies and brands directly. So I was giving straight framework and strategy to begin with. I was giving my experiences about going to different conferences and meeting different people in the space and how I was doing that for free, like meeting Gary Vaynerchuk and Max Levchin, a, a PayPal co-founder and some other people just free and how to kind of hack that and really just putting in the work and you can really, you know, create that or meet anyone you want and have some time to, you know, pick their brain in a way. And then in that time, I became a foster dad. So I was sharing my experiences and kind of venting. And then February of 2019, my grandfather had a massive stroke or several, and he was a main male role model in my life. Hmm. My dad was present, but never really around. There was a history, even though we went to church, it was one of those situations where he went to church just to keep up appearances. Hmm. Behind closed doors, there was domestic violence, there was infidelity. He threw my mom down the stairs when she was pregnant with my brother. He was supposed to be stillborn. Luckily, thank God, he was born normal. He actually has a master's degree from Columbia University, wow. which obviously it's, it. thank God, it, it went a totally different way. But um, yeah, he was my main role model. He passed away, unfortunately, from the massive strokes at the end of February. And then in March, one reason I think I directly switched over to an interview format was to kind of deal with that grief. So a lot of interviews touch on personal things, just business growth, professional growth, and how that's tied to personal experiences and different personal pivots and obstacles that they've overcome. So the topics of conversation oftentimes were loss from other people or dealing with grief and dealing with personal situations and personal challenges that really helped me in the grieving process. So at this point, it connected me like personally in terms of like my therapy for what I went through. And then I really fell in love with the, the concept of talking to people all over the world, giving them a platform for them to share their stories and really adding value. And then for me, it adds value because I get to meet a lot of great people, both from having people on my show, being on their shows, and then being a resource for anything that I can help them or, you know, network them with other people that I have met in the past as well. So it's just kind of been a blessing in that sense. That's so cool. So it's called the Digital Savage Experience. I love the name. How did you come up with the name Digital Savage? Savage, I, Savage, I think is a strong, like a strong word. You think about like somebody like ransacking a city or like Vikings coming and stuff yeah. like that, which the city I'm from in, in Ukraine was founded by, by Vikings actually like 750 years ago. So it was just one of those things like being relentless and going after what you want and and not being told no and the digital standpoint to begin with was just like the power of the internet and what i've been able to accomplish and and tie that into it and stories of myself and stories with others of overcoming things and just not taking no for an answer and if there isn't a door creating one with whatever you're trying to accomplish in life well man this has been really great uh, we usually end with a little segment of just asking some fun questions that really have nothing to do with Anything we've talked about, just put you on the spot and learn a little bit about you. Are you cool with that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we're going to play, we're going to call this hypothetically speaking. So I'm going to give you five hypothetical situations and see how you respond. So here's the first one. If your life was made into a movie, which actor would play you? Uh, well, 
I would want Sylvester Stallone, but Sylvester Stallone, like in the 80s, like early 80s, like uh, first Rambo Sylvester Stallone. That's a good one. I like that. I can see you as Sylvester Stallone or Sylvester yeah, Stallone as you. Yeah, he actually overcame, like he had a lisp and he was told he couldn't ask. So like the backstory of him and him writing the script for Rocky, it's like a really interesting and motivational piece for anyone that's going through some kind of maybe speech impediment yeah. or something in terms of, you know, maybe like a, like a birth situation or disability in terms of acting. That's awesome. Okay, here's another one. Your superpower is that you can give phobias to people. So what fun and interesting things would you make people afraid of? Uh, I mean, I hate spiders, so I'll say arachnophobia. And I don't know if you ever saw the movie. I think it's like a 90s movie, arachnophobia. I do remember Yeah, for the longest time to not leave like slippers and sandals and stuff by the front door. So I, I would probably just go with arachnophobia because that's something I hate. And I, I think a lot of people aren't fans of bugs or spiders. So yeah, it seems like back in the day, they had all those movies about like spiders and bees like i'm my thing is bees I, I just remember the killer bee movies and so i think i would give everybody that same phobia if you can know the truth behind any one secret or mystery what would it be that's 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 a good question it's a tough one yeah i don't i don't even know how to answer that. that's a that's a good question and sometimes people tell me it's a good question when i like ask like what motivates you to succeed and it's i mean it's a common question this is a good question I mean, I would tie it back to a personal standpoint, like why I made some of the decisions I made and like looking back, reflecting from a future standpoint to the past in terms of what influenced that. So like I could have went all these paths. Why that path? Because some of the stuff that I've done, obviously, are chance and taking advantage of opportunities given to me. But like, how did everything align for it to happen like that? That's good. I love that. If you had to join the circus, what type of performer would you be? A juggler or like just like the, the people that just like lift random things because I don't think I'm like more of a, I don't think I'm a gymnast type. So I would say juggling, maybe even a clown, honestly. Have you ever juggled before? Like not well, but <laughs> I could do one ball. That's like something that I don't mind. Like I've seen people juggle and then they like throw like more. I think I saw people juggle chainsaws that were on and just like random stuff. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Last one. If you could only eat the same breakfast, the same lunch and the same dinner every day, what three meals would you choose? Breakfast probably um, from New Jersey. So probably pork roll, egg and cheese on like an everything bagel. Lunch. That's a good question. Lunch. What will I have for lunch? Lunch. There's a, actually a sub spot in New Jersey. It's called Tasty Sub. And it's like the ultimate sub where they put like every meat on there, every every cheese. And they have like these spicy peppers and stuff on there. And then dinner, I would probably say my grandmother is still with us. So she makes a lot of Ukrainian food. I would say like uh, meat and potato pierogies. Oh, come on. Pierogies. I love pierogies. Yeah, especially homemade. Uh, I've never had them homemade, but I have a buddy who's from Russia and they do pierogies all the time. So good. Well, man, it's been really awesome having you on the podcast. Thanks again for being here and the gift of your time. If listeners want to learn more about you, where would you send them online? Yeah, so I'm on every uh, social platform, really. So Roman Prokopchuk, uh, I think I'll show up as the first one. <laughs> Ironically, there are a lot. Roman is a common Eastern European name. And Prokopchuk, there are a lot. It's oh, like yeah. a real, obviously, hockey last name with the C-H-U-K. My website is uh, novazoradigital.com. And as you mentioned, if you search for the Digital Savage Experience podcast, I'm on like 40 platforms at this point. So whatever your preferred listening platform for podcasts or music is, I can probably be found on it. Awesome. Well, I'm going to put all of those in the show notes. And hopefully, maybe we'll get to hang out sometime. I'll definitely see you in Clubhouse. 
else and hit you up there. But thanks again for being on the podcast, man. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Roman, for joining us on the podcast. It takes a lot of grace and a huge heart to love on and care for that many kids. Thankful for every foster care parent that is stepping in the gap to care for kids who have been displaced. Yeah, we've personally seen the impact on the lives of young adults who have had the safety net of good foster care parents. And we know a lot of really great people who have taken on the opportunity and privilege to be foster care parents as well. So next week, we have James Norris with us. James is the founder of Handy Capable Fitness, a nonprofit that raises money and awareness for adaptive athletes of all kinds. James' story of living with cerebral palsy and turning his challenge into a platform of influence is compelling. So join us next week for that conversation. You're not going to want to miss it. That's for sure. If you found this episode helpful, why not share it with a friend or family member that could benefit from it as well? You can find the show notes to this and every show at www.liveleadlast.com. And you can text the word live to the number 22454 to have new episodes, show notes, bonus content, and exclusive offers delivered directly to your inbox each week. We want to invite you to join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash live lead last. We've also started a YouTube channel where you can listen to podcast episodes as well. So check that out. Thanks again for joining us for this episode. We encourage you to live your life and leverage your influence today in a way that leaves a legacy you want for tomorrow. Until next week. Bye-bye.